Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that he gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. We are in the second week of a series in the book of Psalms, and if you know the book of Psalms, you know that there's no way that we're going to be able to cover all of them. There's 150 of them, so over the summer, we're just covering as many as we can. Uh, We covered one and two last week, and today, uh, I want to cover Psalm 33, so if you would, grab your Bible, head over to Psalm 33, and while you head that direction, I want to let you know, uh, I missed last week. Uh, Thank you for letting me take off, because what I did uh, as the old pastor— I was able to go and hang out with our high school students at summer camp last week. And so a week ago yesterday, we took off, drove all the way down to Gloriada, New Mexico. We took 34 high school students with us, eight adults, and uh, spent uh, all the way until late Wednesday down there just uh, diving into the Word, spending time in prayer and worship, learning uh, how we can be Uh, just disciples of Jesus Christ. And I want to let you know some of the things that happen because you guys are so amazing. You support these trips, you you give to them, you you support our students, and you know the life change that happens when they go and they can spend an entire week just focused on God and what God desires from them. And so this last week, uh, like I said, 34 of these students were there. We had uh, six of them kind of recommit themselves. And what I mean by that is, is they had decided to follow Jesus a while back, and maybe they had gotten off track, maybe they just kind of started going in the wrong direction, and so they repented and began to get back on track, begin living the life that Christ has for them. Repentance just means to turn, do a 180, and that's what they're doing, and so they're, they're re-engaging with their faith, and so we're excited about that. We had 16 of them decide to really engage, and uh, there's this, this thing that they do down there called Kingdom Worker Cards, so they can draw a card, they commit to the card before they ever open the envelope. So whatever's in that thing, they're going to do it. And it's a variety. There's like 50 different challenges in there. So we had 16 of our students draw one of those kingdom cards and commit themselves to it, which is kind of cool. So you're going to see some amazing things come out of that over the next few months, I'm sure. And then, of course, we had one uh, student we want to celebrate as well, who she has, she's decided she felt the calling of God on her life to go into full-time ministry. And so she's uh, moving toward occupational ministry. And so we're excited about that. So some big, big life-changing decisions for some of our high school students uh, while they were down there. So thank you so much for supporting them and always, uh, just always praying for them while they're there as well. Uh, we, we just love our, uh, gener- this next generation. We love our youth. And I have to tell you, every time I do something like this, um, I just get excited about the future. I get excited about what God is doing in the next generation and uh, excited for the church, excited for our world and, and what's going on. And so thanks for allowing me to go with them as well. And, and the fact that I went was actually a good sign. I wasn't planning on going, but we had enough of them sign up that we had to take both buses. And so I had to go and drive one of the buses. And so that's, that's pretty amazing. So the fact that I had to go was a good, was a good problem. And so I, I want more of those problems, all right? So uh, today, like I said, we're in Psalm 33. And uh, oh, by the way, if you didn't get one of the bookmarks uh, last week, make sure you grab one of these. They're on your uh, seats, 
And uh, what they they've got a twofold purpose here. The front actually gives you a psalm of the week, and so we're encouraging you to read through a psalm every week. And last week we we studied uh, Psalm 27, so that was your psalm to read through last week. This week we're looking at Psalm 22, and so uh, the backside of that actually breaks down all 150 psalms. It gives you. Uh, the categories. We've, we've kind of cut them into 10 different categories. You can see at the top, it's all color-coded and everything. It's real easy. This is actually a great reference. I, I would encourage you, if you have a physical Bible, stick it in there, hang on to it. It's a great reference for you. And so make sure that you take those home with you and that you're just staying uh, on that uh, Psalm of the Week. And then, of course, as you read through some of the other Psalms, uh, Mike had some good challenges for you last week. If you read two or three every day, you can get through it pretty quickly. But uh, at least then you'll be able to go back and look. Is this a psalm of trust? Is it a, psalm, a messianic psalm? What is it? And then it helps you to get a deeper understanding of what you're reading. Today, we're actually reading a psalm of praise. Uh, it, it's, it's amazing. Psalm 33 is the third psalm of praise. If you start at the very beginning of the book and you work, this is only the third one that you run into in 33 chapters. The first two were uh, chapters 9 and chapters 32. And so these are psalms of praise, just praising God for who they are. Uh, There's a commentary person that does a lot of study, writes commentary on Scripture. His name's Derek Kidner. And he wrote this when he was studying Psalm 33. He said it this way. He said, if the purest form of a hymn is praise to God for what he is and does, talking about Psalm 33, this is a fine example. Uh, This Psalm 33 is the first psalm since Psalm 10 that starts without a title. If you look in your Bibles, look at the very top. Normally, you'll have a title. It'll tell you who the author is, what the situation is, or why they're writing it, maybe even to what tune they're writing it. And this does not have a title. Uh, It's the first one since chapter 10. It's only the second one that we've run into so far that doesn't have a title. It just launches right into the psalm. Up until now, every psalm except for 1, 2, and 10 are said to have been written by King David. We know that uh, just because the titles tell you who the authors are, but 1, 2, and 10 uh, don't tell you, and 33 don't tell you who the authors are, so we don't know who the authors are. Now, what's interesting about that, and this is just a side note, it's kind of fun, if you want some homework for this week, go read Acts chapter 4. So you have the Old Testament in Psalm, you have the New Testament in Acts chapter 4, and what you'll realize, uh, verses 24, 25, 26, there's actually a story in there where through a revelation of the Holy Spirit, The disciples are told that David actually wrote Psalm 2. And so even though we're not given a title for Psalm 2, what uh, Pastor Mike covered last week, we know because of what the Holy Spirit revealed to the disciples in Acts chapter 4 that David is, in fact, the author of Psalm 2. Chapter 2. Now that to me is just fascinating. That just shows the continuity in Scripture and, and how it all ties together. And so that's just a side note. But uh, so with that being said, we know who wrote Psalm 2. So Psalm 1 and now Psalm 33 and Psalm 10, those are the three that we don't have an author for. Now the default for a lot of scholars is that as they read through the book of Psalms, if they don't have a, an author listed, many of them will go to the default of saying, well, King David must have wrote this one. Now, I I don't do that. I I think if God wanted us to know, he would have told us, and in this one, we're not told. But there are some key things in this that lead scholars to believe that King David actually wrote Psalm 33, and I'll point those out as we go, but the bottom line is we don't really know who wrote this. 
And so today, as we read through this, I just want you to kind of pick up on some of the themes. And what I want to do is something a little bit different. I'm going to read the entire chapter, all right? We're going to read through it, um, all 22 verses. And the reason I'm doing that is because this is one of my favorite psalms, and I love, uh, it's, it's like a score. It's a beautiful musical score. It has all these movements to it. And if you just kind of take it in bite-sized pieces, sometimes you miss the themes, you miss the movements. And, and I want us to get the entire thing first, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to start to uh, draw truths out of it for us here and now. Is that a deal? So let's take a look at this entire chapter. It starts off this way. Let the godly sing for joy to the Lord. It is fitting for the pure to praise him. Praise the Lord with melodies on the lyre. Make music for him on the ten-string harp. Sing a new song of praise to him. Play skillfully on the harp and sing with joy. For the word of the Lord holds true and we can trust everything he does. He loves whatever is good and just. The unfailing love of the Lord fills the earth. The Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. He assigned the seas its boundaries and locked the oceans in vast reservoirs. Let the whole world fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of him. For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. The Lord frustrates the plans of the nations and thwarts all their schemes. But the Lord's plans stand firm forever. His intentions can never be shaken. What joy for the nation whose God is the Lord, whose people he has chosen as his inheritance. The Lord looks down from heaven and sees the whole human race. From his throne he observes all who live on the earth. He made their hearts so he understands everything they do. The best equipped army cannot save a king, nor is great strength enough to save a warrior. Don't count on your war horse to give you victory for all its strength. It cannot save you. But the Lord watches over those who fear him, those who rely on his unfailing love. He rescues them from death and keeps them alive in times of famine. We put our hope in the Lord. He is our hope and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. It's an incredible, just beautiful uh, score. Like I said, it's just beautifully written, and it has this flow to it that I absolutely love. And it starts off with a call to worship. The first three verses are this call to worship. Uh, Pastor Tim used this this morning for our call to worship. It starts off by telling us uh, that God's people have a responsibility to sing for joy to the Lord. Did you know that we're supposed to sing for joy to the Lord? It's interesting to me that we, uh, in some of the other translations, it says sing joyfully or to rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. And, and the way that starts off, one of the reasons why they think King David wrote this is because Psalm 32 ends about the same way. In verse 11 in Psalm 32, it ends this way. It says, so rejoice in the Lord and be glad. All you who obey him, shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. So you can kind of see a similarity there. It flows right out of 32, uh, right into 33. Even though we don't know who wrote 33, some people think because of this that King David, uh, since he wrote 32, must be the writer of 33. But we don't, we don't think that this is uh, chronologically in order. That's, that's, not, uh, that's not the way these are, are laid out. It must be when they were sitting down and they were laying out the book of Psalms and they were putting them in a certain order, uh, I think because of the way 32 ends and the way 33 begins is one of the reasons why uh, when they were putting it together that they put it in that order. But we are told that God's people 
are to sing for joy to the Lord, that we are to sing for joy to the Lord or rejoice in the Lord and get this, and nothing else. Uh, you sang that this morning. My heart, my heart will sing no other name but Jesus. Did you realize what you were doing in that moment? You were proclaiming this to be true. That you put your trust, your hope in Jesus and nobody else. We're supposed to rejoice for joy in the Lord and nothing else. Why? Because everything else is temporary. Whether it's comfort, whether it's life itself, happiness, everything's temporary. God is the only one that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will, he will be here. Uh, he's been here from the beginning. He'll be here all the way to through the end. God is the only thing that doesn't change. And so this is why we rejoice for joy in the Lord and in nothing else. The instruction is for, it says here, for the uh, godly and for the pure. Uh, Some of your translations will say the righteous. So let me ask you, who is this command for? Who's supposed to sing for joy in the Lord? Uh, The godly, the pure, and the righteous. Who are those people? Are those the people that have it all figured out that are just perfect, that haven't made any mistakes? No, you know that, right? That's not who this is. The righteous, the pure, the godly, what they're talking about, are, and this is great news, it's us. It's those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Us? Messed up, broken people? Us? That's, that's who we're talking Yes, that's who we're talking about. But it's not because of anything we did. It's because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so we are the ones that this verse talks about. We are the pure. We are the godly. And we have a command, a responsibility to sing for joy in the Lord. Now, how do we do that? Obviously, it says sing with our voices. But there's uh, some other instruction given as well. It says to do it with a a lyre, a 10-string harp. Um, So with some instruments, right, is what we're told. It's interesting to me, when you get into church work, right, all these different denominations, we have uh, denominations that they'll have 20 people on the platform, all these different instruments, and then we go uh, to other churches, and other churches will just be singing, and like they don't allow any instruments in their church, and I actually have pastor friends who pastor both kinds of churches, and those that I know that pastor those, those churches that say no instruments, uh, it's interesting because they actually will say, look, we just believe for us, it's a preference thing that we we, we need to sing. God wants to hear our voices. He doesn't want to hear all the instruments. He wants to hear the voices. And so for us, that's what we choose to do. But I have a pastor friend that pastors one of those churches who told me, look, we don't have a problem with it. If, that's, if that helps you to worship, you do that. But this is what we're going to do. And I appreciate that. Because then we can look at Scripture and we can kind of do what we feel Scripture is leading us to do. And now here at Mountain View Fellowship, obviously, you know, uh, we had instruments on the platform. Uh, is, is it... Just for a lyre and a harp? No, it's for all the instruments, right? Uh, All of our talents should be focused toward God for his praise and his glory and his worship. And that's what we've decided to do here. Now, I will tell you, there is one instrument, though, that God says you have to worship him with. You don't have to use a harp. You don't have to even use instruments. But he says you have to use your heart, at least your heart. Your heart has to be focused on him. I think that's the most important. And if that helps you just by using voices or by using instruments, then you need to do that. That's the right decision for you. But it also says to play skillfully. Did you notice that? Which means um, bring your best when you worship. Like just don't come in 
hacking it, right? Don't come in faking it until you make it. Come in prepared, play skillfully, give it your best. I don't know if you know this, but we have an amazing, talented worship team. And they, they come in uh, usually, not every week, but usually on Thursday night at 6.30. Why do I tell you that? Um, because you might need that. I know there's weeks I need it. Like I'll have a tough week. I'm just kind of feeling run down, beat up in the whole bit. And, and I'll know our worship team is going to be in here at 6.30 on Thursday night. You know what I do? Don't tell them this, okay? But I sneak in through the back door and I sit in the back over there and I just worship along because I need it. And you might need that some week. Maybe you're having a horrible week and on Thursday night you'll be like, oh yeah, Pastor Don told me about it. I'm gonna sneak into the back and I'm just gonna worship. It's a little different on Thursday night because they stop and go and stop and go and change things, and, but that's okay because it's, it's worshiping and that's what I enjoy. But they, they come in, they work their tails off and they practice and then they come in on Sunday morning and they do the same thing. Why? Because they wanna bring their best, because they wanna play skillfully. Why is that so important? Do you know why? It's not because it's so amazing to your ears. That's not why they do it. It's because they want it to be pleasing to God's ears. Because they don't want what they do to distract you from your worship. And if I got up here to play with them, uh, like if they gave me the guitar one Sunday morning, I promise you, you would be distracted. Right? That's not my talent. And I can't play skillfully. So that's why I'm not up here during worship. But the ones that are up here that have been gifted that way, we put them up here because they can lead us in that worship. And they do it in such a beautiful way that it doesn't distract us. Do you realize that God realize, uh, he listens to your prayers? Do you realize that he appreciates your praise? He listens to your worship and your praise. He appreciates that. Can I just give you a thought? Because I think sometimes we get this idea of worship backwards. Uh, here's the thought I had this week as I was reading through Psalm 33. Our praise is to please God. It's not to please us. I hope you understand. I hope you had uh, like an amazing moment this morning during worship that you were worshiping and you were enjoying it. I hope so. But I hope you also understand that this worship is not about pleasing you, but it's about pleasing God. And the reason I say that is because so many people pick their church based on the style of worship. Well, I'm going to go here because they, they do this type of music. Or I'm going to go here because they use these instruments or they don't use these instruments. We pick it because of the style of worship. And yet we've got it backwards. It's not to please us. It's to please God. Let me ask you this morning. Did your worship please God? Were you engaged? Was your heart engaged with God? Because that's the bottom line. This isn't about just sing-along songs. You remember when you were a kid and they had the thing on TV and the, they would play the song and the little bouncing ball would come along and show you what word to sing? Remember that? That's not what this is on Sunday mornings. This is about engaging with a God who loves us, who gave himself for us. Um, we're given another instruction here that I skipped over. It says, sing a new song of praise to him. Did you catch that? Sing a new song. What's he mean? Like, if you do a song this week, can we not do it next week because it's not new anymore? Is that what that means? Like, we have to change our songs? No, that's not what it means. I think Mark Batterson in his book, Draw the Circle, had probably the best explanation of this. He talked about uh, when you're dating someone or maybe you have a, a birthday in your family 
And what do we do? We go down and we buy a Hallmark card and we sign it and we give it to them, right? Which is not bad. It says, I'm thinking about you, but here's what we're doing. We're giving somebody else's words to the person that we love. And he said, so often in in the church today, all we do during our worship, we just mail in a Hallmark card. We come in, we repeat the words that are on the screen. It makes no connection to our heart and we're just repeating somebody else's words. Now, you take that same scenario, you gave your mom or your child a birthday card, a Hallmark card. Um, What's the response when you actually sit down and write something yourself? It's incredible, isn't it? Why? Because it's your words. Because it meant something. It wasn't somebody else's words. So that's what we're talking about when it says... um, Sing to the Lord a new song. Now, does that mean we can't sing the ones that are on the screen? No. And actually, we have picked a very special hymn to do at the very end of this service that we're going to do together. It's called Lord's Sin Revival. And in that, one of the lines that you're going to sing, you will sing it, it says, Come Holy Spirit, Lord have your way. Now, you have two options. You can either just sing it and say, Come Holy Spirit, Lord have your way. Or you can engage with your heart. And you can say, Lord, send your Holy Spirit. Lord, have your way. And maybe in that moment when you're engaging, the Lord reveals to you there's areas of your life that he doesn't have his way. And in that moment, you take steps to go, I want my, my life to align with what God desires for me. And you find yourself in this moment of just meeting with God in your worship and allowing his Holy Spirit to minister to you, to convict you, to encourage you, whatever it is in that moment. That's worship. That's worship. Now, sing a new song. Do we have to sing a new song every week? No, that's not what it means. We sing a lot of hymns here who were written, you know, clear back in the 16th century. We, we sing songs that are way older than we can imagine. But that's, that's not what this means. And while we appreciate old hymns, I, I think we also can be excited and happy about new songs that we sing to the Lord as well. The song that we're going to end today with, we've never done it here before. This will be the first time we've done it. We're going to be saying those words for the first time. And yet I hope it connects with every one of you on a different level. Why? Because that's singing a new song. See, worship is about the heart. It's not about the lyrics on the screen. I remember um, the story of David being anointed as king. And God says, look, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. See, that's what worship is about. He is more interested in your heart. Voices in tune, that's good. Instruments in tune, yeah, that's great. Keeps us from being distracted. But hearts in tune, man, that's critical. That's critical for our worship. That's what it's about. Verses one through three spell out this, this call to worship, but it's uh, verses four and five that actually give us the reason for our worship. Do you know that? This is the reason we worship. We can trust everything he does. The unfailing love of the Lord fills the earth. I mean, verses four and five are rich about just sharing with us the greatness of God's character. Um, Are you having trouble finding where you can put your trust in today's world? Are you having trouble uh, trusting in anything? Here's the bottom line for four and five. You ready? Um, We can trust everything he does. You can trust God. Maybe you've been struggling in this life to find something you can put your trust in. Um, We're told by the psalmist in, in Verse four, you can trust God with everything. 
Uh, it starts off in verse 6 and 7. It gives us the summary, really, of creation. Of Genesis chapter 1, it summarizes the whole creation. By God's word, he created. That's really what he's talking about. And you're going to see this line pop up again in verse 9. But the psalmist is saying, look, God created everything just by his voice. Uh, I, I love these uh, it says here, he assigned the seas, he locked the oceans. And many times when I read that, especially up to the last couple of weeks, I've always thought of that just as a continuation of the creation story. But what I found out here recently, which is something new for me, is that when I read assigned and I read locked, those are actually in the original text. Those are present verbs. So if we were going to say it correctly, we would say, he is still assigning the seas as boundaries. He is still locking the oceans and vast reservoirs. You know what that said to me? Is that God is still holding everything together. Yes, he created all of it, but he still holds it all together. And what I got out of that through studying the scriptures, I felt like, man, God is holding everything together. If God just decided someday that he was just going to let it go, I think it would all fall apart. I think we'd have nothing but chaos and destruction. And yet, even in this world that seems to be spiraling out of control, God is holding everything together. And since God created the heavens and the earth, and since he's holding everything together in verses 8 and 9, we are called to fear the Lord. We're told to fear him. It says that he spoke and the world began he, he is worthy of our honor, of, of our fear. And, and fear doesn't mean like we're terrified of him. It means reverence, that we honor him because of what he's done. He spoke and it was created. The world began. And it kind of has this uh, echo to me of, of what the Apostle John wrote when he started his book. Um, John 1.1. 1, 1. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God and the word was God. Talking about Jesus, he was the word. God spoke the word and the world began. Uh, we saw just a few months ago in our, our series in Colossians where it said everything was created through Christ and for Christ. Uh, I think all of this ties together. It's this idea that Jesus played a role in creation. Uh, I love this. God is so great, so amazing, so powerful that he can just speak a word and he can speak things into existence, the stars, galaxies, the world. It goes from the greatness of God, the majesty of God, and it comes down and, and it starts to talk about his power right here on earth in verses 10 and 11. It says he frustrates the plans of the nations, thwarts all their schemes. Reminds me of Proverbs 21, you know, where it says that all the king's hearts are in God's hands. And as the river is pushed to the left and to the right, God does this with the hearts of kings. He's the one in control. We think that we are making decisions and everything. Like, like the president is the one deciding everything. And it's like, no, no. God's in control. Why? The Lord's plans stand firm forever. It stands for forever. His intentions can never be shaken. Nothing we do can change that. He will bring about his plans. Are you struggling with the way the world's going right now? You struggling with everything that's going on? The news, have you, have you clicked on Yahoo News recently and been depressed? You worried about the elections coming up in November? Who's gonna be in? Who's gonna be out, right? Uh, maybe you need to go back and read this a few times, Right? 
Are you worried about tomorrow? Read this. Because God's plans stand firm, not just today, not just tomorrow, but for eternity, forever. You can trust his plan. You can trust his overall plan, and you can trust his plan for your life. Uh, Verse 12, what joy for the nation whose God is the Lord, whose people he has chosen as his inheritance. This verse is one of the reasons why I decided to select this psalm for July the 3rd. We're getting ready to celebrate Independence Day tomorrow. And one of the things that we've forgotten is that the reason this country has been blessed is because of God, not because of us. Um, I, I don't know if you've looked at your calendar, but we plan way out ahead here. Um, psalm 11, I'm sorry, September 11th, actually falls on a Sunday this year. I don't have to tell you what September 11th is. And so I've been looking at that all year long, and I'm already writing that message for September 11th. I'm I'm excited about sharing that with you on September 11th. But one of the things you're going to hear on that day is this verse. It's, It's only through God that we are blessed as a nation. That's it. And it's not hard to understand because when you study the Old Testament, you see this, this roller coaster ride of God's people. It says like they did right in the sight of the Lord. And God blesses them and they thrive and they grow and they multiply. And then there comes along a generation and it says, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And it's almost like God backs away and he lets them suffer the consequences for their sins and they drop into the pit And then they cry out to God, and and every time God calls the nation back to him, he always uses this phrase, turn your hearts back to me, or turn your hearts back to God. And can I just say you, I just want to tell you, before we ever get to September 11th, if there's ever a time that this country needed to turn its heart back to God, it's now. We need God more than ever. We need to be doing right in the sight of the Lord if we want to continue to experience his blessing. Um, I learned years ago that it wasn't going to be through one person. I think if this country was going to see revival, if we're going to turn our hearts back to God, it wasn't going to be because of Billy Graham. He was already here and he was already doing his thing and it wasn't happening. It was going the wrong direction. You know, I started to realize as as I read through scripture is that it was going to happen not at a, a a top level and work its way down to the people, but it was going to be reversed. It was going to have to be a grassroots movement of God's people, a movement of the Holy Spirit in his church that was going to start to turn the tide in this country or in the world. Um, And I think the psalm proves it. It goes from the majesty of creator God all the way down to us as individuals. Did you catch this the first time I read it? In verses 13 through 15. The Lord looks down from heaven and sees the whole human race. From his throne, he observes all who live on the earth. That's you. That's me. Get this. The God who hung the stars, who spoke the world into existence, knows your name. He knows what you need tomorrow. He knows what's troubling your mind right now. And that's phenomenal to me. That's, that's mind-blowing. It says that he made their hearts. He understands us because he made us. He knows exactly what we're going through. That, that alone, that's just that passage right there just blows your mind. 
that we have a God that is so magnificent, so amazing, this creator God that knows who we are and where we're at. But see, here's the crazy thing about it. Even knowing that, um, we still turn to other things except God, don't we? Uh, That's why the psalmist writes this in 16 and 17. It's a warning. Look, you have this God that, that by his word, the world came to be, and yet he knows everything about you. He created your heart, and yet you put your faith in this stuff, right? The armies and, and the war horses and the strength, this is what we, we put our trust in. Let me ask you, what are you putting your faith in? What are you banking your life on? Is it how much you have in your savings account? Is it your knowledge? Your wisdom? You think you're smart enough to get through everything and take care of everything? Is it your experience? I'm going to lean on my experience. That's what's going to get us through this, this trial, right? Let me ask you, every time that you experience something rough, you get hit with a trial, instead of getting on your knees and crying out to this God, this creator, magnificent God, who created everything, who holds everything in his hands, who, who knows who you are and where you're at, instead of getting on your knees, what is it that you go to? What goes through your mind? I can do this because what? That will tell you what you're putting your faith in. And can I say, whatever that is, whatever you, whatever you fill that blank in with, can I just tell you, it's, um, it's no better than a best-equipped army or the strength or war horses. And by the way, when this was written, war horses were a game-changer. Because if you had horses, you could, just, you could steamroll other nations because you had a cavalry. Or you had war horses, you could build chariots and you could wipe out other armies. You ruled if you had war horses. He's saying, look, the best thing that you can think of, man, it can't save you. It can't save you. Not, not anywhere close. Remember verse 12. It said, blessed is the nation whose God is Lord. That's where we're supposed to put our faith. That's where we're supposed to put our trust. And it goes from this, this whole idea of warning us not to put our trust in these wrong things. Don't trust in what you can do. To saying, put your trust in God and God alone in verse 18 through 21. And I love this. This section of scripture is amazing because it shows this relationship between God and his people. God and his people. Let me ask you this. As you read through these verses, what is God's role? Did you catch it? What's his role? He watches over those who fear him. He rescues them from death. He keeps them alive in times of famine. He's our help. He's our shield. It has a lot of echo of what uh, our directed prayer was this morning, doesn't it? That's God's role. What's our responsibility? Do you see it? We need to fear him. We need to rely on his unfailing love. Put our hope in him. Have our hearts rejoice. We trust in his name, in his holy name. That's our job. Let me ask you, out of those two, out of God's role and our responsibility, uh, which one holds most weight? Which one is, is more difficult? Which one's the harder job? God's or ours? Yeah, God's. He carries us. All we have to do is just trust and believe and follow. That's our job. And yet we keep trying to trade places with God and we wonder why we struggle so much in life. Why we stress out, why we have anxiety attacks. It's because we're trying to be God in our lives. And if we truly understand this psalm, we know that we need to step back 
And we need to get on our knees and we need to sing for joy for the Lord. Why? Because he is our protector. He is our savior. Nothing else can save us. He is magnificent. He's creator God. He is more than capable and his plans never fail. Um, That's why this whole thing ends with verse 22. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you. And I love the way they tacked on this. You alone. Alone. Not just you and. Uh, My hope is in you and some stipulations. It's you alone. That's it. It ends right there. Uh, This unfailing love. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord. That word that's used there in the Hebrew is this word hesed, which means loving kindness. Let your loving kindness surround us. It means covenant love. Let your covenant love surround us. It's built on your promises, your love, and, and we want that to surround us for our hope is in you alone. This psalm is one of my favorite psalms because when things are spiraling out of control, I can go and I can read this and it reminds me that, no, God's got this. Nothing can happen to me that's outside of his control. He's got this. It's one of the reasons why back in 2008, my brother-in-law died in a motorcycle crash and we went to his uh, service and at his graveside. I got to speak at his graveside and this was the psalm that I read. Because in that moment, we need to be reminded as a family that God is still in control. That this is where our hope is. Our hope is is in him alone. This is a song, a psalm of praise. It reminds us that we are called to worship. And the reason we're called to worship is because we have a creator God who is magnificent, who is greater than anything else. His plans stand firm forever. And as a nation, if we put our trust in him, we will be blessed because of that. And not only that, but this God that is so big and magnificent, he actually knows each and every one of us on a very individual level. Nothing but God can save us. The promise here is that when we trust him, when we put our hope in him, that he watches over us, he rescues us, he shields us, he is our hope. And so I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand. We're going to pray together, and we're going to sing to the Lord in joy. Let's, Let's rejoice. Let's sing joyfully this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you are a God above all. By your word, you created everything, everything that we see, everything that we can touch. And God, even in that, you know each and every one of us. We praise you for that. God, is uh, today as we sing for joy, I pray that you would meet us right where we're at. Lord, I know some that came in today, they're struggling. Uh, the world seems to be out of control for them. Would you remind us in this moment that you are the one in control, that none of this is going on without you knowing, that you're not sitting on the edge of heaven, sh- uh, wringing your hands, worried about what tomorrow holds, but you are in control. And God, I pray that this would embolden us, that this would build us up to be the people that you've called us to be. God, thank you for loving us, for giving your life for us. 
so that we might be called one of your children. Today, Lord, as we sing this song, we ask for revival, not just in our own hearts, but in our country, in the world. We know it's only going to come when we begin to allow your Holy Spirit to do his work in us. And so, Lord, we're here to meet with you right now. We pray all this brings glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said.